Hi, and welcome this day. So glad you have chosen to join us. We are getting into this question of how do you keep going when you feel exhausted, when you feel like you've got nothing left to give? Because we are in a season right now between Thanksgiving and Christmas that we refer to in the church as Advent, but a season that is all about rushing, like the next thing, like it's busy, like we have to get things perfect. There are expectations. We don't want disappointments. We're in this season where everything is kind of going and we can feel pulled in multiple directions. Or maybe we want to feel joy. We want to have hope. We want peace and love, but we have grief going on. We've got too much on our mind. We've got dynamics, family, relationship-wise that are difficult and are exhausting. And so how do we figure out how to keep going when we feel like we've got nothing left to give? And there's that old cliche, right? Just put one foot in front of the other. And there is an element of that, but is there anything more hopeful? Is there something that we can draw strength on for us today that can help us in the moment? So we're gonna get into a story where it's actually multiple stories, but they're all kind of like in sequence. They're, they're right together in the book of Mark. And what they are is Jesus' ministry. And we get a Jesus who he gets frustrated. He seems to be exhausted. And yet just the way he interacts gives us a way forward in thinking for ourselves. It gives us a different perspective in how do we deal when we are exhausted. So before we begin reading out of the book of Mark, pray with me. Oh God, you are with us every moment of every day. Give us that peace we need in this season. Center, help us center ourselves. Help us focus and give us clarity in the things that we need so we might know more love, more joy, more peace this season. Amen. So beginning in Mark, the eighth chapter, verses one through five. In those days, there was another large crowd with nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for the crowd because they have been with me for three days and had nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they won't have enough to travel. For some have come a long distance. His disciples responded, how can anyone get enough food in this wilderness to satisfy these people? Jesus asked, how much bread do you have? They said, seven loaves. All right, so what's important to know about the book of Mark is that at this point in the story, the disciples have already witnessed Jesus feeding 5,000. And so it's kind of weird that they're like, I don't know how this is going to happen. And it's kind of like, well, did you forget that Jesus has already taken care of a situation similar to this? That it's, for them, it's like impossible, can't do it. The disciples are exhausting in and of themselves because they always stay in the negative, right? They're always like, nope, can't happen, can't do it, move on. They can see nothing else, even though Jesus is right with them. And it's a moment ago, okay, do they not remember? Do they not understand? 
Is it possible that in the book of Mark, like it's two different stories or that it's the same story? One interpretation is that the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 is actually the same story with different details. But then there's another interpretation where it's actually two stories and that it shows the lack of understanding that the disciples have of who Jesus is, what Jesus is capable of, and what he's willing to do. And it's also important to note that as the disciples are coming at him, like going, yeah, no, can't do it, that Jesus is very focused upon having compassion. He notices that the people are hungry. So it doesn't really matter that the disciples are like, can't do it, because he's so focused on, wait a minute, I need to respond to this. I can respond in such a manner out of a place of compassion that I can meet a need. A sense of what are our actions when we start to get exhausted, when we feel like we've got nothing left to give. Do we start to lose that compassion? Do we start to kind of shut down more in the sense of the disciples of God? Nothing will ever change. It's impossible, which in and of itself is an exhausting state of being. And so to recognize here, kind of when we feel like we've got nothing left to give, what's taking the energy from us? Maybe it's something from someone else. Maybe it's the way we're receiving it. Maybe it's the way we're reacting to it. But where is the compassion? Where is the compassion for ourselves and for others in that discussion? Or do we even think about it? Continuing on in verses 6 through 13. He told the crowd to sit on the ground. He took the seven loaves, gave thanks, broke them apart, and gave them to his disciples to distribute. And they gave the bread to the crowd. They also had a few fish. He said a blessing over them, then gave them to the disciples to hand out also. They ate until they were full. They collected seven basketfuls of leftovers. This was a crowd of about 4,000 people. Jesus sent them away, then got into the boat with his disciples and went over to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees showed up and began to argue with Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. With an impatient sigh, Jesus said, why does this generation look for a sign? I assure you that no one will be given to it. Leaving them, he got back in the boat and crossed to the other side of the lake. All right, so think about it. The disciples are being tiring in their own way. This is impossible, can never work. And Jesus is like, no, I'm showing up for people. I'm going to continue to have compassion. I'm going to continue to be present. That sense that no matter what we're experiencing, no matter what our need, no matter that the disciples, even when we don't understand things, that God still keeps showing up for us in ways of loving, in ways of compassion that maybe are completely unexpected. And so they get through that moment, right? They move through that. The disciples once again witness how Jesus is interacting with the crowd, how he is interacting with others, how he is showing compassion. And then the Pharisees. So they get in the boat and they leave, right? And we can think about this as, okay, they get in the boat, they're moving along on the journey, but also like this is a break from the crowds. Because when we are exhausted, 
When we think we've got nothing left to give, it's important for us to take a moment for ourselves. It's important for us to rest. We have to rest at some point. And sometimes maybe we even have to go to a different place. Like we need to go down the street. We need to go sit by a lake. We need to get a little bit different perspective of just our space around us. And as this happens, the Pharisees pop back up. They get off the boat, and along come the Pharisees who are constantly ready to trap Jesus. They've got this self-righteous streak, like there's only one way of understanding the world, and it's their way, nobody else's way. And so here they come, and they say to Jesus, to test them, they asked for a sign from heaven. All right, Jesus has been helping out. He's been having compassion. He just fed a whole bunch of people. He is also known for his healing. And so you kind of go, my goodness, like, what is this, right? Like, what kind of sign do you want? And to think of that moment as it's just one more thing to pile on them. Just one more thing. Like, you think you're getting through something, and it's one more thing put on your plate. It's kind of like this season, right? Just one more thing at it. We think we're almost there, we're gonna get through it, and then poof, right on top of us. Something else to deal with. And so, Jesus' response here is really important for us when we feel like it's kind of piling on. He says, Why does this generation look for a sign? I assure you that no one will be given to it. Jesus is saying a couple of things with that. First, he is saying, I am not a genie. I am not a magician. I am not here to grant your wishes. I am not going to be your tool, your puppet, where you say, jump, and I go, why, of course, and may I lift you as well. No, no, no. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus, the things he does, even with the feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000, he does things from a place of compassion, from a place of wanting to help and wanting to heal. It is not about granting everybody's wish. It's not about fixing things that, you know what, that, is that really necessary? And to think about that for ourselves. When we're feeling exhausted, when we feel like nothing left to give, are we trying, are people asking us to fix things? that we, we can't fix, that we shouldn't fix, that, that really they need to figure out on their own. This is also a total misunderstanding of the Pharisees of who Jesus is. But to think about that for ourselves of going, wait a minute, am I just trying to fix things to make me feel better? What's going on here? Is this about being healing, being compassionate? Or is it just people just keep piling on and I keep going, okay, I'll keep trying to grant the wishes. And to really take that step back. I'm going, what is exhausting? What is putting this pressure on, I got nothing left to give? Is it from others? Is it from ourselves? Is it from others? And we can't say no when we need to. Because Jesus is telling the Pharisees no in this, because it is not from a good and healthy place. This is not from a place of healing and compassion. The Pharisees are not looking for healing or compassion. They are looking for a magician to do whatever they wish. And so to take that in for ourselves. And then to note, 
leaving them, he got back in the boat and crossed to the other side of the lake. There are times, right? He's already crossed once where it's like, okay, he hasn't been mean back to him. He hasn't taken revenge. He has absolutely drawn a boundary with him. And then he's like, all right, and now I need to go on. I need to go someplace else. I need to take a break. I need to get some rest. I need to get a little bit of space from this situation. And so to think about that for ourselves, of the need for rest and how are we implementing that in a daily kind of way, in a weekly, in a monthly of going, man, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, am I allowing enough space for rest? Am I allowing, even when I'm feeling overwhelmed in the moment of going, you know what? I need 15 seconds of quiet. I need 15 seconds to just breathe, to refocus. Because Jesus is like, I got to focus on something else. And then the disciples and all of those issues pop right back up. Starting in verses 14 through 16. Jesus' disciples had forgotten to bring any bread. So they had only one loaf with them in the boat. He gave them strict orders. Watch out and be on your guard for the yeast of the Pharisees as well as the yeast of Herod. The disciples discussed this among themselves. He said this because we have no bread. It's a little dry in here, so a little more water. Um, right there, right? They've forgotten to bring bread. After that whole scene of feeding the 4,000, of it happening with the 5,000, the disciples have forgotten to bring bread. And Jesus, preemptively, because he knows where this is going, because they're about to freak out, they're about to get really anxious, and sometimes we do that, right? We get anxious over things that really don't matter. We get anxious over things that we can't control, or we get anxious over things. You know what? There is someone that can easily help us with that but we get anxious about it. We disrupt our peace with it. We exhaust ourselves. When we focus on, oh my goodness, what's about to happen? I don't have any bread. And you can feel the kind of buildup and Jesus is like, hold up here a moment. And he says to them, watch out and be on your guard for the yeast of the Pharisees as well as the yeast of Herod. Yeast helps things grow. And so he's going, what are you allowing to grow in your life? Like the Pharisees and like Herod. The Pharisees care nothing about understanding who Jesus is, how Jesus works from a place of compassion, of forgiveness, of love, of mercy, of just wanting people to be healed in their lives. And they're like, yeah, no, we're going to choose not to understand that. We want to see something totally different. And so Jesus is asking the disciples, hey, what are you growing in your lives? And yet, once again, they misunderstand him. How exhausting is it when there is miscommunication in our lives? When we miscommunicate, when we receive it, when we don't understand what's going on. And to recognize that Jesus is absolutely 100% experiencing that. Like he's trying to be clear. He's trying to get them to understand, but they just don't. Continuing on, <coughs> excuse me, continuing on in verses 17 through 21, Jesus knew what they were discussing and said 
why are you talking about the fact that you don't have any bread? Don't you grasp what has happened? Don't you understand? Are your hearts so resistant to God, to what God is doing? Don't you have eyes? Why can't you see? Don't you have ears? Why can't you hear? Don't you remember? <coughs> Excuse me. When I broke five loaves of bread for those 5,000 people, how many baskets full of leftovers did you gather? They answered 12. And when I broke seven loaves of bread for those 4,000 people, how many baskets full of leftovers did you gather? They answered seven. Jesus said to them, and you still don't understand. We can feel at this point, Jesus' frustration, right? The miscommunication, they cannot understand. He even checks their memory, right? He is checking their memory of God. Don't you remember? And they're like, yeah, no, yeah, we totally remember that. And he's like, then what's the issue? And maybe we've had those moments where we keep trying to explain things. We keep trying to move forward and we keep trying to get through something. And it's like, man, there is roadblock after roadblock. And sometimes we ourselves are the roadblock. And sometimes the things that other people say are pre presented as roadblocks. And we go, okay, we want to like put our hands in our face, on our face and just shake our heads and go, what in the world is going on? Why can't you understand? <sighs> and that's the moment for breath. That's the moment to go, wait a minute. What's going on here? What's really happening? What is this miscommunication? Jesus asked them questions because he's trying to get at the source of it. And here it's important to remember that we wouldn't have this story. We wouldn't have this story about the disciples struggling to understand who Jesus is what Jesus is capable of, of how their lives are actually changed as opposed to how they wanted them changed, but how they needed them to be changed because they told on themselves. Because as they struggled, they knew we would struggle. We would struggle when we are exhausted, when we don't understand what in the world is going on and that it can take some time and that to understand that their journey took some time they are trying to give us hope. Just as Jesus was trying to give them hope about, come on, we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to get stuck on. Here's something new to understand about what Jesus is doing in the world, about how Jesus is showing up, how Jesus is healing, how there is more compassion about really what fills our lives. What are we growing in our lives? Does what we are growing keep us in an anxious state of exhaustion, of I can't do anymore, or does it build us up, strengthen us, give us hope that there is a different way? What the disciples doing, they are giving us hope by telling on themselves that they themselves struggled. The hope here that's articulated, we get a sense by the poet, playwright, and Czech statesman of Václav Havel, who states it so beautifully. 
Hope is a state of mind, not of the world. Hope in this deep and powerful sense is not the same as joy that things are going well or willingness to invest in an enterprise that are obviously heading for success, but rather an ability to work for something because it is good. Even as the disciples are oblivious in this moment, Jesus is still working towards something good. Jesus is still guiding. Jesus is not checking out. He's like, I'm not throwing up my hands. I'm not saying it's over. We're going to keep going. Because it's important for us to know that God does not give up on us. That God's hope and God's strength is constantly there, ready to help us, even when we don't fully understand what that means, what that looks like, how to even access it sometimes, because we are so caught up, we are so drained of the moment that it's hard to see anything else. But Havel's reminding us, just as Jesus and the disciples, of that an ability to work for something because it is good. To think of the good that we can still do when we've got nothing left to give. You may be like, but, but I need a break. We can still use our words and our actions to do good when we are exhausted. Because sometimes when we get in that state of being so exhausted, of being just kind of leveled out, I got nothing more to give, sometimes our responses begin to be harsh. Sometimes they aren't so nice. Sometimes we begin to try to inflict upon others the things that we feel. We feel bad and so we let words, we let things fly that maybe aren't so kind. And so this is just that reminder of the good that we can still do, the good that we can still say, the good in our actions that can be done even when we've got nothing left to give. Finishing up in verses 22 through 25, Jesus and his disciples came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch and heal him. Taking the blind man's hand, Jesus led him out of the village. After spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on the man, he asked him, did you see anything? The man looked up and said, I see people. They, they look like trees, only they are walking around. When Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, he looked with his eyes wide open. His sight was restored and he could see everything clearly. So Jesus is still able to heal. He's still able to do good, even though he's a little bit exacerbated by the whole thing with the disciples. We can hear that bit of exhaustion, even though he had that impatient side with the Pharisees, this sense that Jesus keeps showing up ready to provide healing, ready to have compassion in the ways that are needed. And this healing story is rather interesting because Jesus has to lay his hands on the man twice before the man can clearly see. Now, the theologian John Calvin explains this as, well, this is a different way of healing. Jesus heals in various ways and that we cannot expect 
Jesus to only heal in one way, that we put Jesus in a box and narrowly look at it. And well, if you're healed in that way, then, you know, or well, you can't be healed if no, the healing that comes from Jesus is life changing and it can be unexpected. It can be in ways that we never thought possible. It can change us and shift us in ways that we had never even considered before. Just like so often the disciples are like, that's impossible. And Jesus is like, nope, let's watch. Another interpretation by a guy named Ira Driggers, it's kind of interesting. He says, you know what? This shows it's a step-by-step process. Like the disciples, they're going to learn and then they're going to understand. And it's going to take a little bit of time that there's two steps in the healing, that there's going to be two steps learning and understanding. And what's interesting about both those interpretations is that they can both be true. That Jesus heals in numerous ways, ways that we can never expect. And that, you know what, sometimes we learn, but we do not yet understand. And so it's step by step of coming to a new understanding of going, you know what, I am drained. I am exhausted. I don't know where God is in any of this rushing around kind of craziness. And so it takes a little bit of time. But if we're willing to commit ourselves to it, if we're willing to kind of dig into it, we begin to find a new way. If we're, be- if we're willing to kind of access that hope of Jesus, because that's also what he's doing here. In this moment with the blind man, with his disciples of instilling that hope that good can still come from, that good can happen even when we've had really difficult, crazy conversations where we are like, I, I'm out. That good is still possible. The Archbishop Desmond Tutu has this great quote about hope. He says, hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. Hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. Jesus doesn't give up on his disciples He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't give up on bringing the good of being compassionate. Even when he gets frustrated, even when he has an impatient sigh, even when he needs to take a little bit of a break and needs to find a little bit of rest, that Jesus does not give up because God does not give up on us. And so when we're thinking about that exhaustion, where it's coming from, and that we've got nothing left to give, and why that is, and the situations that are creating that feeling within ourselves of recognizing that there is still hope that good can come from, that there is still hope of seeing the light in the darkness, of experiencing the light out of the darkness. And so how will we be challenged today by the words of Jesus, by how he lived it? How will we be challenged in our understanding of the disciples, of getting honest about, you know what, here's where I struggle with, of putting ourselves out there just like they did, because they knew we would struggle and they knew we would need some hope. And so how will we face this season knowing that we have a God who will not leave us or abandon us, who keeps on guiding us through, keeps trying to bring us that hope 
keeps on trying to say that exhaustion, that ready to give up, does not get to have the last word on any of our lives. How will we be challenged and comforted by the life, the words, the ministry of Jesus? Amen. Thank you.